All right. You're ready to study God's Word, right? Come on, get your Bibles out and go ahead and find the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be reading some familiar verses from Matthew's Gospel here in just a moment. I will also be turning to Mark's Gospel as well. They should be relatively easy to find if by chance you did not bring a Bible today. The good news is we'll post these verses on the screen overhead so you can follow along because I believe it's good to hear it, to see it, and to be able to uh, all handle his word together. We started last week a new series that I entitled Churchquake. Uh, I actually hijacked the title off a book by uh, C. Peter Wagner under the same title, Churchquake. Uh, I'm really not using many of the things he shared in his book. It had more to uh, deal with apostolic structure of a church. I'm wanting, I'm wanting to somehow filter that or distill that down to you all as a congregation, hopefully in a little bit more practical and relevant way in all of our lives as we endeavor to do uh, the will of God. We've been talking about how God is in a restoration project. He is not leaving things alone. He's continually tinkering in our lives and he's continually tinkering in our churches and he's restoring things. He wants to restore things to their original uh, purpose and plan. And uh, there's a phrase that has come out. It has already come out even in the political landscape with some of our uh, Republican candidates who are running for president, having a more uh, conservative religious background. Uh, some of them have already been labeled a part of what was called the New Apostolic Reformation. And as I mentioned to you last week, it sort of irks me that we let Newsweek or Time Magazine define things when we should let God and His Word define things. So we're endeavoring to do that so we can knock out confusion uh, because the enemy would like nothing more than to get us confused. Now, I'm not endorsing one party at this time over another. I may endorse something before this is over with, but, but I, I, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to help you understand what God is wanting to do in the life of the church and in our own personal lives. And I made a point, a biblical point, and that is whenever Israel needed national reformation, whenever the nation of Israel needed an awakening, and, and you've heard me mention before that the history of Israel, particularly through the Scriptures, was one of a roller coaster ride. They were up, they were down. They pleased God, they displeased God. Uh, they enjoyed his blessing. They were under a curse. I mean, it was up and down and all around. And whenever they needed a national reformation to take place in their nation, the precept in general went like this, that God moved first to reform the worship, the structure, and the spiritual atmosphere of the temple and uh, their religious life or their spiritual life. And out of that flowed national reformation. Judgment starts at the house of God, but let me also share this with you. I believe restoration starts at the house of God. And just as we can't look at uh, uh, the centers of our government and, and demand that they operate appropriately, we better first look at ourselves and make sure we're operating appropriately. All right? So we deal with the beam in our own eye before we start picking whether they be specks or beams out of anyone else's eye. And the practical application of all of this is that I believe America needs a national reformation and awakening. 
I believe that. I believe America needs one big spiritual bath. That's what I believe. Now, I believe God is moving in these days in his church. He's starting with us. He'd really like us to get our act together. And he's moving to reform uh, worship and structure and our spiritual atmosphere. Because you do realize that it's going to take something more than what we have experienced to change the place we find ourselves in as a nation. If we keep doing church as usual, I have a pretty good template already that tells me we're not going to get the job done. So something needs to happen in our lives and in the life of our churches in order that we might be effective in the mandate that God has called us as a people to accomplish. Now, years ago on TV, and later it came to the movie screen, there was uh, a show, some of you are, are too young, even young adults, you may not remember this, I'm, I'm old enough that I can remember. There was a show that was called Mission Impossible. Do you remember this sound coming from your television or movie screen? Play it, guys. Let's see if we can get this. You remember that? Mission Impossible. It was, a, it was a show about a group of people who were given assignments that nobody else could do or take care of. They were called the I Am Force. And most episodes began with the leader of the I Am Force getting orders from a hidden tape recorder an envelope of photos and information which would explain the mission, which ostensibly was impossible. They were being assigned something that nobody else could do, nobody else wanted to do. And, and so it was being offered to this group who specialized in impossible missions. Now, I'm not going to sound like the old tape recorders, but when it was running, it usually went something like this. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. And then you would hear this explanation of what it was they were about to do. And then towards the end, you heard your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it. And they would finish off by declaring the goal. And then there was this, this kindly reminder at the end. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. At the end of this tape's instructions, it will self-destruct in five minutes. Good luck, Jim. And that's how it usually went every single week. If you watched it as a television series, many of you probably saw uh, Tom Cruise do the, uh, the movie adaptation. Mission Impossible. I want to share something with you today. You and I have been assigned to something that is impossible. And should you decide to accept this mission, I'll just have you know, you, you, may, you may not be enshrined, you may not be immortalized in the sense of earthly accolades, but should you decide to accept this, you're going to be on a journey that few people 
have ever signed up for or even think can actually happen. And so as we continue our series, I just entitled our lesson today, Is This Mission Impossible? Is This Mission Impossible? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, I want to read to you some familiar words, but as I read them, I want them to sink into you deeply. I know you've heard them so many times that they are so familiar to you that you'll go, yeah, 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 I know what this is all about. I've heard it before. Just humor me for a moment and listen, listen deeply to what Jesus says as some of his last words to his followers. He says these words, Matthew 28, I'm going to begin with verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In Mark's gospel, uh, there is a modified version of what we know now as the Great Commission. Mark's gospel 16, I just want to read this one verse, verse 15. And again, we're just letting it sink in for just a moment. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world... And preach the gospel to every creature. I don't know if you noticed there, I tried to emphasize a couple of words. One of the words was uh, disciple. The other word was all. And then the last word here is every. You just need to let that sort of brew inside for just a moment. Jesus gave as one of his last mandates that these followers that were with him were to go to every nation, all nations, and disciple them. He said to them that they were to go to every creature, every creature. Notice he didn't say many. He didn't say some. He said every and begin to declare to them what it is he had spoken and what he had done. Now, all of this we call the Great Commission. It was given to this small group of men that had been following Jesus around. They were chosen of our Lord. And he called them something that, that had not come across the spiritual radar up to that point. In the Old Testament, there were prophets and priests and and the people probably understood these concepts at least somewhat somewhat well. But now he, he opens up this whole new word, this whole new concept, and he now begins to call them apostles. It's never come up before. Brand new word. Now I want you to think about this. Think about how this group that he's speaking to as we read about it in our text here, think about this group and how they had forsaken him at the cross. Think about how they hid themselves in fear. Think about all the ways that they had disappointed, uh, they had fallen short, 
They hadn't measured up. Think about all of their dysfunctions and weirdness and craziness. Think about all their lack of character. Think about all the, the areas that they were more than human. Think about all those things that they bring to this moment. Jesus is speaking to them and he tells them that this group, yes, I'm talking to you, you are going to go out and disciple all nations. You're going to teach them to observe all things that I have spoken to you. You're going to go to every creature proclaiming the gospel. Now, think about that for just a minute. That is mission impossible. How could this, this small, uneducated, frightened, ragtag, mostly group of fishermen fulfill this mandate? How could they overcome the odds. What would give them the ability to complete such a mission? It was certainly uh, overwhelming and certainly Jesus was probably over expecting at that particular moment. Now, I know we've now arrived in the 21st century, but I started just to think about that. And I thought to myself, things haven't changed all that much. He looks at us. Most of whom have our own personal dysfunctions, our personal weirdness, our personal failures. Most of us have more times than not, probably not lived up to everything the Lord would have had for us. And he looks at us and he speaks these very same words to us. He says, you in the 21st century, go and disciple all the nations. And can I just say this? And I love everybody here and I love the body of Christ, but we haven't discipled the church all that well. I mean, he wants us to disciple nations and we're having a hard time just getting everybody up to speed with regards to discipleship. Sweet Jesus, you ask people just to memorize a verse or two and you think you ask them somehow, you know, to, to do the impossible. Even though God said, thy word have I hid in my heart. That I might not sin against you. It's just, it's remarkable to me how in the church we struggle with this concept. And yet Jesus looks at us here and he says, I, I'm not, I'm not asking just for that. I'm asking that you go disciple nations. It's mission. At least it appears to me mission impossible. Now let's just leap out of that for just a moment. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt in your life, that what God had called you to do, purposed you to do, even with regards to this, because whatever he's purposed you to do, somehow or another, it fits within this mandate as well. But that somehow you're up against something that is impossible. It is an impossible mission. These men who once cowered in fear eventually went out in the face of overwhelming odds and turned their world, the scripture says, upside down. And the book of Acts records these things. It records how they went out into cities, literally changing the spiritual atmosphere of cities. They went out healing in remarkable ways. They went out uh, in delivering in remarkable ways. The whole book of Acts really is a remarkable book of all the exploits 
of the early church as the mandate was given. And then suddenly the book of Acts begins to show us how that mandate begins to be fulfilled. Now, if I ask you the question, how did they do this? I know some of you are astute enough and smart enough and you know your Bibles well enough that before I would even get a chance to answer some things that I think we've not taken into account, I know instantly many of you would say, I know how they did it. I know, I know, I know. They did it because they prayed. Certainly they prayed. That's a part of it. Some of you would go, oh, I know, I know, I know. It's because they prayed and they were in an upper room and they received an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they moved in power. And that's true. That is certainly a part of all that took place. It's obvious. But there's one other thing I want to suggest to you this morning that happened in their lives that might in, might well be the missing key. It might be the missing aspect of why we've really not seen this in our generation or in our 21st century come to pass like perhaps God would have wanted it to come to pass. And it's this. Something you got to get some revelation on it. It's going to seem simple, but if you just if you take it at simplicity and 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 just let it be information, you're going to miss about what I'm ready to say. They were sent. They were sent. Now that does not sound very profound, does it? They were sent. Okay, they were sent. I, I'll buy it. But the key here is is that it's so crucial. That it's the reason why we have not in 2,000 years fulfilled our Lord's mandate. See, there's a difference between being sent and just went. Now you're getting some revelation. I can hear a rumble out there. See, a lot of people just, they just go and do. Now, I don't know that there's anything evil or wrong with that. But there is a difference between those who are sent and those who just went. Oh, there's a big difference between the two. You see, the key is when you are sent, there's something, something more at work here. And, and those who just went, they're probably good natured. They're probably well intended. It's not that something evil is going on, but those are two totally different concepts. And yes, they prayed and yes, they were filled with the spirit and yes, they had the power of God. But the key was I believe also they were sent and they didn't just sort of go. Now, why is that important? Because, because the concept of the apostolic or even to be an apostle, I believe it. I believe I put it on the screen overhead. To be an apostle literally means to be sent. Apostolo or apostolos, the noun or the verb. You can use either one. The key is it's the word that's used to send. But it, but it means more than just to send. It, it means literally to send with the mandate. So to be an apostolic ministry revolves around the concept of being sent. Listen now carefully. Only sent ones can fulfill the Great Commission. Only sent ones will be able to overcome impossible odds. Listen, I'm not, I'm not parsing words. I'm not playing games with vocabulary here. You can go and be well-intended, but you will not do the impossible. But if you're sent with apostolic authority, then the impossible collapses into the possible. Because God's involved in that. I hope you're getting this. Sent ones 
sent ones. And that's been, I think, a part of the problem. The church cannot succeed without operating in this apostolic dimension. We just go and do, and we aren't really harming anything. It's good stuff to do. We're probably finding a verse or two to do what we do. And all these things, I'm not trying to make it like bad or evil, but I'm saying we've missed a divine moment here that we are sent. Sent. Now I'm going to come back to this, so just hang on. I want to lay out some premises here with you this morning that, that I've begun to see with regards to this commission. Some premise, premises. Number one, the church, which means you and I, have been given a commission. You understand, we've been given a commission too. These words are as valid for us as they were for them. We've been given a commission, all right? Number two, this commission is an apostolic commission. Now, what I mean by that, and, and we're going to explore this here in just a few minutes, not that all of us have to be apostles, but that all of us have to have apostolic sending. All right, it's an apostolic commission. These guys didn't wake up one morning and suddenly decide, oh, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's, you know, this thing with Jesus worked out so well, didn't it? And uh, let's just decide we're going to spread this thing, so let's just go do it. And I tell you what, you go, you just, you stay here in Jerusalem. I'll send you to Antioch. We'll send you off to Bithynia. Maybe you go over here, go over there. We'll just go, we'll just get this thing and we'll just franchise it. I'll tell you what, we'll just franchise this whole thing. And we'll just go do it because Jesus is a good guy. He wouldn't, he wouldn't care if we did this. In fact, he mentioned on more than one occasion, this thing was going to take off and we'll just go ahead and we have all the right motives here. Listen, that's not how it worked. They were sent. They had an apostolic commission, number three. This commission must, this is the good one, and will be fulfilled. Now, I believe this with all of my heart. And, and I have to live within a mystery. I have to live within some tension here. Because I, I do believe at, in my core that, that Jesus is coming soon. I believe that because I just know the Bible and I can look around me. I believe that to be true. I, I, I really would teach or I would preach an eminent return. I have no problem with that. But, but there's a strain of Scripture that I still have to come to terms with. And that strain is this, that basically God gets what he wants. And if God sees multitudes, untold myriads of people, billions and even billions of people within the confines of his kingdom... And, and, and when we look in the Revelation, we see uh, it says a number which no man can number. Then, then what that tells me is, is that sometimes somewhere on the earth, there's going to be some form of outpouring that's going to take place that will be of such proportion and such magnitude that God, whose heart is for people and the harvest, is going to be released in the earth through his church in such, in such an amazing uh, disproportional way that there is going to be this sweeping revival which brings people into his house and into his kingdom. I believe that. I believe that's going to happen. It must and it will be fulfilled. I don't believe God sets orders out without the full expectation that those orders will come to pass. Number four, since the commission is apostolic, then it will take an apostolic anointing and atmosphere to fulfill it. So, if being sent is critical, 
And if being sent is the key, then what must happen is, is that the atmosphere of our churches must somehow tap into whatever it is to mean apostolic. Because that's the type of authority we're going to have to move in. Now, that raises to me some important questions. The first question is this. What does it mean to be apostolic? Now, I'm just going to share because I know every week I have... I have guests with me and, and, and those that may be visiting and you weren't here last week. And by the way, you can always catch up if you'd like to through iTunes and our website. So you can catch up that way. But, but we're coming to the end of the year and we're getting into the holiday season. And whenever we get to this season, I know everybody gets distracted because of the holidays. So I've just decided I was going to teach just some things that hopefully we could get into our system. So by the time we got to January 1, we'd be ready to be catapulted into the next year with what God was asking of us. And so that's why I'm kind of dealing with this, but I'll make it real relevant to you if you'll just hang with the ride here for just a minute. What does it mean to be apostolic? Well, we already said that it means to be sent, but precisely it means to be sent with a commission. Sent with a commission. Now, again, on the screen overhead, I put to you, a commission is to be authorized to be appointed, to be charged, to be empowered, to be dispatched, and to be entrusted with a mission. So it's not that you're just sent, it's that you're sent with a commission. In other words, you're going somewhere and you've, and you've got the goods to do what it is you were sent to do. Are you following me? Like if I looked at some of you and, I, and, and, and said, hey, why don't you go and, and build a house? And, you know, maybe you were obedient. And you'd say, okay, yes, sir, I'll go do that. And you're going, but you don't know how to read a blueprint. You don't know the first thing about construction or codes. You don't know the first thing about what to do. You don't know anything about foundations. You don't know anything about how thick the pad needs to be. You don't know anything. So, in other words, you're going and, and you're being maybe even faithful, but you're not going with a commission because you don't have the goods in you to be able to do what it is you've been mandated to do. Are you following me? Okay. This was given to the apostles by Jesus. It was directly given. That's why he said, all authority I have, I now give to you. So he's transmitting spiritually. He's imparting to them in order for them to accomplish what it is they're mandated to do. And yes, it was given to those first apostles, but now we know it's been given to us as well as the church. It wasn't just their commission, it's now our commission. It's not just what Jesus said to them to get done. Now Jesus looks at all of us in this room and he says, now it's yours. The torch has been passed to you. It is now your commission to begin to fulfill. And I want to suggest this to you. I believe, I just read it to you, that it's greater than just evangelizing. I believe in evangelization. I believe the lost need to be saved. I believe that we need to preach the gospel and see souls won into the kingdom. But, but evangelism isn't the goal. Evangelism is the door. Jesus said, I am the gate. Jesus said, I am the door. Why did he use those analogies? It's because when you receive Jesus, that's not where it ends. It's just getting started. That isn't the goal for us just to bring people to the feet of Jesus. Yes, that's where they got to start. 
But from that forward on, there's something great that can begin to happen. His will, his ways, his plans, his purposes, the destiny he has for you. So evangelizing is just the beginning of the task, but that would include also discipling and teaching. Why do we need that? Because you're being loose to go do the same so we can do that in nations. It also means that you you need to learn how to pray. Prayer must be a part of that. It must be an integral part of the Great Commission because we couldn't do any of this unless we were praying and God was releasing power into our lives. Hey, it also means this. I believe that if we've been called to go into nations, that there has to be a power with which we can break the hold of evil spirits. And I believe there's powers of darkness that we have to come with authority in order to break that, that the gospel can get through to blind eyes. Something's got to break the veil off of people's eyes. Has to be lifted from them. How does that happen? Well, obviously there has to be a power and authority to deal with the powers of darkness that stand over people and stand over nations. The church in the book of Acts did all of these things. You know why the book, the church of the book of Acts could do this? It's because they were an apostolic church. And we're going to, we're going to delve into this in the weeks ahead. They knew they were commissioned in a mandate that we can clearly see from the accounts in Scripture what took place. I mean, wild and crazy stuff took place in the book of Acts. And it's interesting to me on occasion, and of course I'm not just trying to, to advocate for the bizarre or to advocate for the weird or the strange, but you can't read through the book of Acts without stumbling over some bizarre and weird and strange. And yet, here we find these very people being the ones that are penetrating a culture who are literally turning cities upside down. They, they, they saw incredible healings. They saw incredible deliverances. They saw literally thousands being brought in to the church in a moment's notice. It not only just was within the confines of their little groups, but it was in the marketplace. They'd walk through the marketplace and, and God would move through them in the marketplace. He'd move through them in the streets. He'd move through them in their businesses. He'd move through them in every arena of life. You just couldn't keep the kingdom cornered in the temple anymore. It was breaking forth in every arena and aspect of life. They were so successful at this. That by the time A.D. 300 came around, listen to this, we're talking approximately 250 years after the advent of the church. And there were persecutions, mind you. They went, the church went through incredible persecutions, incredible hostile environments. They went through things that if I were just to share with you, and sometime I probably will, if I shared with you the types of tortures the early church and Christians faced, it would make you cringe. They died for their faith. They were so committed. Something had so transformed them and touched them that even though the culture was looking at them, telling them to shut up, stop it, we don't want it, they just kept on doing kingdom things until finally in A.D. 300, a guy by the name of Constantine issues what we now know as the Edict of Toleration. After 
literally uh, 200 and nearly 50 years. And get this, 250 years. I didn't say 250 days. I said years. Of faithful uh, kingdom mandates being fulfilled. They had so penetrated the culture. They had so penetrated the empire that Constantine, and we can debate, and they do, history History experts debate whether Constantine had a true conversion or whether he had a conversion of convenience. Because the Christian church had become such a prevailing force in the culture that Constantine finally said, we, we can't fight these folks anymore. They began to be assimilated into uh, the Roman Empire. Now listen to me, it ultimately ended up in their demise because once they got power, it went to their heads. And just like most of us in this room, there's usually a time in our life where we get a little power and a little affirmation and we're a little successful. And all of a sudden, we think we're all that in a bag of chips and we get a brain cramp. And I will admit, the church got a gigantic brain cramp after 300 A.D. that spun it into what we eventually know as the Dark Ages. But you can't miss what happened prior to that. There was something that was taking place in the life of the church. Now, I, I'm not saying saying that, that we, 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 we're going to follow in the steps of, of, of compromise or, or spiraling into assimilation into the culture, but I'm saying something needs to happen to us again that one more time we can begin to uh, crack the culture. We can begin to penetrate into every arena of life. We literally become salt. We literally become light. We literally become unstoppable. We no longer are, are this little measly force that we have to look to the Constitution in order to keep our rights available to us. Where we begin to look to our God and our God vindicates us because we are His. Are you following where I'm going with that? How did that work? How did that work? Something was working then. I'm just being honest. That doesn't seem to be working now. There's another question. Are there still specific apostles today? Well, the short answer is yes. That's the short answer. In, in fact, uh, some of you may have grown up in days past. Maybe you still go to church there. I don't know. But there are groups that teach that there were only 12 apostles, but they do make room for the fact that, you know, Judas killed himself. And, uh, and then, of course, we all know uh, that Paul was the one that most people believe was God's choice to fulfill that slot. The problem is most of us forget that before Paul comes on the scene, there was a little guy by the name of Matthias whom they voted on and actually voted him into apostolic stature. So Matthias was there long before Paul supernaturally came into this apostolic ministry. Now, again, I'm not going to quibble uh, tremendously over the fact as, as to how their 12 works because I, I believe there's a lot more than 12 apostles. The reason I believe that starts with the Bible. There are more than 12 apostles in the Bible. In fact, I just took a little sheet. I pulled this sheet out that I have. And I'll just go down the original 12. Just bear with me. Just humor me here for just a minute. The original 12 apostles, there was Andrew, you know, who brought Peter. There was Bartholomew, sometimes referred to as Nathaniel. 
There's James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the son of Zebedee. There was John, the beloved, who ultimately wrote the book of the Revelation. Of course, we know there was Judas, who was before he, he killed himself. There's Matthew. There's Peter. There's Philip. There's Simon. He was a, a zealous apostle. Uh, he was always, you know, ready for revolution. He and Peter, you know, they, they, they liked the sword business, you know. They, there was Thaddeus, who also was an apostle, and Thomas. So those were the, the original 12 apostles. Now, I'm going to read to you other names here that are referenced in the Scripture being under apostolic anointing, authority, or outright being called apostles. For instance, Matthias, I just mentioned to you, who was voted in in order to replace Judas. There was Barnabas. Remember him? Barnabas was a networking apostle. There was Paul. We mentioned him. There was James. This James was Jesus' half-brother who pastored, ended up pastoring the church in Jerusalem, and he ended up being amongst the apostles in Acts chapter 15. There was Silas. There was Apollos. There was Adronicus. Epaphroditus. Instantly, now this, this, this will trip uh, some people's minds right here. Do you know the Bible teaches that there was a woman by the name of Junius who was an apostle? I have a hard time believing that. Well, you know, isn't it good that God didn't check in with you? I'll say it again. If it weren't for most of the women in the church, the church doors have been closed years ago. But I will say this, ladies. That God's raising up men. He's raising up your men. And I believe God was raising up a mighty army of men to step into their authority and leadership. So we thank you for keeping the church doors open. We should have been doing it. And now we're going to step in and we're going to do it. Because we should have been doing it all along. That was free of charge right there. There was Timothy. Timothy was an apostle. And then, and then the scripture has two unnamed apostles as well. We don't know their names exactly, but they're two separate people who are referred to as apostles. Now, so there's, there's apostles. And I mentioned last week out of Ephesians uh, 4.11 that, that apostles still existed today. But, but it's interesting. The word is really kind of interesting. The word apostle is derived from a word that was in the culture that literally referred to admirals. Again, it's a military term. I'm amazed at how often God uses or picks terms out of the military culture in order to apply it in the life of his church. And apostles reference what we would call as admirals. They led great armadas of ships. Now that kind of makes sense because an apostle probably gives oversight to different ships. We might call them local churches even. But we can begin to see some things as you begin to get a hold of this. We can see that the traits of an apostle, if it is derived from that of a general or an admiral, would be something to go into new territory. That apostles have an anointing to go into new territory, to establish the good news. They were to go into new territory, spiritually fighting for what needed to take place, to establishing the, the laws, the boundaries, uh, the things, the ways, the authority, and the culture of this new kingdom that they're ambassadors of. They would be able to train. They were the ones that would train uh, those who would come in to the army of God or to the church of God to be productive citizens of this new kingdom. And so can you begin to just in your mind to make application 
as to what these apostles would begin to do as they moved into these new territories. Now, listen to me. I have no problem with this in general, but I realize we're kind of living in this title craze culture. And, and, and you need to break out of the fact that you just get here because someone threw a title on you. You know, it, it never says in the Bible, the Apostle Paul. It always says Paul and Apostle. And I believe the reason it says that is not because that title wasn't worthy of him or that he wouldn't be respected if that was shared of him. I honestly believe it was simply to remind us that this is a job description. This is a calling. This is an office through which the church not only has benefited greatly, but it must again benefit greatly from this particular anointing that comes into our life. Now, I'm going to finish with this question and I'm almost done. The question now is, can we all be apostolic? That's where this leads to. Can we all be apostolic? And the short answer, it's good news, is yes. Yes. Now, guys, I'm, I'm Jerry, I'm going to throw you a curveball here, okay? So just bear with me. Go find Ephesians 4.11 again. I didn't, I didn't put that back there on the notes. Find Ephesians 4.11 for me and post it. Oh, Jerry. You, dem you demand. You are the man. All right. I was going to just talk a little bit while you brought that up. God bless you. Now listen to this verse here. It says, and he himself, meaning Jesus, gave what? Stop right there. You know what some means? Well, let me even, let me, let me even, boil it. let me boil it down a little bit more than that. It means, some means not everyone. So that's what it means in the Greek. Not everyone. He himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, the verse simply tells me this, and that is not everybody is called. In fact, I honestly believe this verse has more to do with what, and again, I'm, 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 I'm skipping this so fast, but, but I believe there, there's callings and, and governmental authority that comes. And, and I believe when God calls you to the ministry, what we have primarily, you know, back in the church I grew up in, we always wanted to make sure you're called to preach. Well, when you got the call to preach, I honestly believe it probably was what's being talked about right here. So not everybody necessarily has that call on their life. It doesn't make one better than the other. It just makes one different than another for different reasons. And, and, and I don't have time to go there. I'm simply making a point. Not everyone is called to be an apostle. Listen very closely to me. Everyone, however, can be apostolic. There's a difference. Everyone needs to be apostolic. Because, you see, if we are not as a people and if we are not as a church apostolic, then we will not fulfill the mandate that we've been given. If the mandate is mission impossible, then the only way it will be possible is when we understand what it means once again as the church to be apostolic. Now, I can liken this because some of you will pick up with this real quickly, and this is the best illustration I can give you, is that while not all, for instance, are to be prophets, I don't believe everyone is a prophet, but the Bible says that all may prophesy. So in other words, not everybody has the office of a prophet, but there is a spirit of prophecy that can, that can fall on the whole congregation. And all of us in this room, whether we're prophets or not, 
can function under a prophetic anointing, which causes us to hear the voice of God, which which enables us to, to discern and to know and, and all that that prophetic spirit would bring with us. We're not a prophet per se. We're not a governmental prophet. We're not an ascension gift prophet. We're not a prophet like, you know, uh, Agabus was a prophet or, or Elijah was a prophet. No, we're not a prophet like that. But we can function in the spirit of prophecy. Now listen, you're not an apostle either in all likelihood. But you can get an apostolic spirit, an apostolic anointing. I maintain that you must get one if we're going to fulfill Mission Impossible. I'm just going to give you a personal illustration in my own life, and, and we're going to try to make application to your life. So it's going to get real relevant here. I remember years ago, I was serving another pastor. His name was Pastor Houston Miles. You've heard me named Pastor Miles on numerous occasions. Pastor Miles, I believe, to this day, he's still alive, and I believe to this day, God called him to be an apostle. I believe that. I believe that not because he ran around saying, I'm an apostle. He didn't, he didn't just get his letterhead changed. Instead of saying, Pastor Houston Miles, and now says Apostle Houston Miles. He just didn't change his business card. But I believe that there was a shift that happened somewhere in his calling that he began to receive the apostolic mantle. And, and it's not because he just one day stood up and declared it. It's because you couldn't help but see it. See, that's the key. This will help some of you. You don't have to run your flag up any flagpole. You don't have to raise up your own banner. If you are what you think you are, it'll come out. God will bring it out. And everybody will see for all to see. You know, I just I just remember I remember when God called me to the ministry and called me to preach. And you've heard the stories about when, you know, he called me to preach. And I remember one time I had to stood in front front of a, a school assembly because I was running for treasurer of the student council. And I hyperventilated so badly that I literally couldn't get two words out of my mouth before I had to get the next breath. And I couldn't get the breath because my heart was just pounding. I needed oxygen is what I needed. And to know that, and then you hear God saying, I'm calling you to preach. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. You say, well, obviously, Pastor, something happened from that day you hyperventilated to this day. Well, what happened was, is, is that there were moments unsolicited that just God used in order to begin to bring forth that which was supernaturally imparted. Until finally, it just became apparent. Because I believe me, I had plenty of people saying, you're not that, you're not that, you're not that. And of course, I didn't know for sure if I was that. But praise God, if you are that, how many of you know God can't stop it? So, back to Pastor Miles. So, I believed him and still do to be an apostle. Well, every now and then, because he oversaw a fellowship of churches. That church was like a like the mother church of a lot of other churches. And uh, Pastor Miles had a large congregation to deal with. He was in Russia on numerous occasions, and he had a heart towards Russia. He also had a fairly large fellowship of churches, so he had all these things going on, and it would just be impossible uh, for one man to be able to do all of those things well. I mean, I guess you could if you, you, know, if you just gave up sleeping, but... You couldn't do all of that. And so on occasion, 
he would ask me or look at me and said, uh, Kevin, I want you to go. There's, there's this local church, and he, they may be having a problem. They may be having some issue. It could be any one of a number of things. Sometimes I didn't even know what it was. And I just get, and I get sent. Sent. Didn't just go. I was sent. And I'd walk into this church. Now, understand, I, I went to Evangelical Cathedral when I was 29 years old. This is probably 30, 31 is when that started happening in my life. 31 years old. 31 years old is probably not even, you're not probably even ready yet. I'm not saying you couldn't. I pastored when I was 24. It should have been made illegal. I fully admit it to this day. But, but even at 30, I'm not sure that's, that's wise. You just don't have a lot of experience under your belt. I'm not saying it couldn't happen or God wouldn't do it. I'm just, I'm just giving a quick analysis. So, so I'm not just going, I'm going to try to fix something that up to that point, I got pastored all that well. And, and some might affirm that even to this day. Don't amen. I heard quiet come over the congregation. It's like they're going, I don't want to say anything there. But yet, this is what was interesting. I'd be put into that situation, and all of a sudden, it was like there would be an authority or an anointing that would come, that whatever it was, it would, amazingly, to my amazement, it, it kind of found order, or it kind of got fixed, or it kind of found its place. It wasn't not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and I can't say it was 100%, you know, record that every time I got to go somewhere, it always worked out that well, but a lot of times it did. And, and at first, this is what you think. At first, what you think is, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm. See, I'm, I'm stepping in to my calling or I'm stepping into my anointing. You know what? Just, just come on. It, it wasn't my anointing. You're getting this revelation now, see? It wasn't my anointing. See, I was sent, I was sent under apostolic commission with an anointing that wasn't my normal, even, even spiritual disposition to do what I wasn't even equipped or knew at times what to do, but yet had the ability to do it because something supernatural was going on there. And, and in that moment, what happened was, is because I stepped into something that worked in me and through me in order to be effective. Now, I understand that all of you are called in, in the manner that I'm called in, nor am I called in the manner you're called in. But this is what I do believe. I believe that no matter where we're called, whether it is in church per se, or whether it's being called in the marketplace, or in business, or in education, or whatever arena, some of you may be called into the arts, you're called into, you're called into the media, you're called into television. My son is called to the radio. We need to hear this, that God wants to drop an apostolic spirit on his people, that we not just step in because we're skilled to do it, but we step in because there's an anointing and an authority and a commission. You are sent. To do that. That's the book of Acts. You understand that? The book of Acts, they were just, Paul. Paul's just doing his tent making thing. But for kingdom purposes, his tent making thing was the door and the opportunity to crack the culture with apostolic anointing. 
I believe, I believe if we're going to see entrepreneurs come again into our nation, they're going to be birthed out of churches that understand the apostolic spirit because those men or those women are going to have to go crack an economy that is not conducive to you starting a business. And, and I'll tell you what, God will honor your business if you honor him. And he will give you an anointing to crack, crack the climate right now. Don't you, don't you buy into everyone else saying it can't be done, it just isn't a good season. Listen, God, God is not contingent upon our earthly seasons. He can crack whatever He wants crack if you'll do it for kingdom purpose. He wants to raise you up to be of influence and to be of, of, of leadership in whatever arena you are in. I don't care if you're working for the government. You're in the business field. You're at a school. You are a teacher. It doesn't matter. God's raising you up in order that you might influence and be effective in that particular arena. And a church like ours acknowledges and receives apostolic input. Now, we just, we just flat out defined it because our church governmentally is set up apostolically. We have, we have those who give oversight to us that I believe have apostolic anointings on their life. Uh, and we believe that all of this is we function in an apostolic network. And again, I don't know where this is even leading me or taking me. I know, I know that, that there's, there's a morphing that's happening in my own life. I'm just telling you that all of this is God restoring his church to the place where we will once again image and mirror the book of Acts to our world. Where one more time we will begin to see apostolic authority and anointing come. Where people are healed and healed and healed. Not just one or two little migraines on occasion. But I'm talking big time, never to be denied healings going on in people's lives. I mean seeing people whose psychiatrists are ready to lock up on the funny farm and put them in the padded room in the padded cell because they're schizophrenic, uh, they define, not realizing they're full of devils, and they get into an apostolic atmosphere and they are set free. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. So, let me just give you four things and I'm done. And I mean, this is super fast. Boom, 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 boom. One. Listen, God is positioning us for breakthrough in many areas. I, I mean, that's what's going on. He, you don't understand. The reason you're at a log jam, and, and, and we've been working through this in our own lives, in our own household, and even in church life, because we've had some log jams in certain areas of life. I'm just declaring it out loud. I believe that God has allowed, I'm not saying he caused, but he has allowed certain log jams to occur in order that we could be positioned for breakthrough so that we could begin to identify what it is he's doing. Some of you have some log jams. Praise God. Your test is about ready to become a testimony. Number two, we must accept the fact that we live in a hostile environment. You probably know this already. I hope so. You know, Jesus himself said, beware when all men speak well of you. I've always fulfilled that particular verse for some reason. That was one verse I've always seemed to manage to, to fulfill. We need to accept the fact that we live in a hostile environment. Listen, challenges are going to come. Challenges have come. And sometimes you just need to hear it one more time. From your pastor. Sometimes when you're facing challenges, it means you're doing everything right. 
Sure it is. Because the enemy isn't rolling over and just saying, oh, they decided to move, so we'll just let them. Oh, no. The reason your heathen neighbor never has any problems is because the enemy isn't at all threatened by them. He's threatened by you penetrating his domain. So we just got to accept that fact. Number three, at the same time, we must anticipate greater favor and anointing and miracles. The greater the challenges, I believe the greater the favor. Come on, where sin abounds, grace doth more abound. I, I believe whatever the logjam is, God's hand is bigger than the logjam. I believe whatever the issue is, God eclipses it. We must anticipate greater favor. Now listen, when you anticipate it, that means you've got to be tenacious. You've got to be resilient. You, gotta, you can't give up. You've got to stay in the hunt. And great favor will come. And then finally, number four, we must refuse to retreat. From impossible situations. I call this divine hard-headedness. You just simply say, you know, Lord, until a victory comes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting it go. I believe, I believe you can do this. I'm gonna stand and see you do this. It, it's gonna somehow, some way, it's gonna help me, and, and as you do it, it's gonna help others as well. Listen, Mission Impossible is actually Mission Possible. If, listen, if we begin to position ourselves under the apostolic commission of being sent. We've just, again, we're just opening up the book. We're not done with this yet. We've got a few more weeks to talk about this. But I'm telling you, God would not give you a mission or a mandate that you could not fulfill. But you're going to fulfill it in his way, not your way. Amen? Are you ready to go forward? Let's stand.